Welcome to another exciting episode of Mission Compliance, Unleashing Growth Potential for Defense Contractors. In today's episode, we continue down the road of understanding CMMC, its regulations, and controls. Up next is AC.L1-3.1.2, Limit Systems Access to the Types of Transactions and Functions that Authorized Users are Permitted to Execute. We'll break down what this control means, why it matters, and how it impacts your organization's cybersecurity posture. We'll also provide practical insights and strategies for achieving compliance and securing your systems effectively. So whether you're a defense contractor aiming to win more contracts or simply someone interested in bolstering your cybersecurity knowledge, you're in the right place. Let's get after it. We're joined once again today by Mike Frieder, President of On-Call Compliance Solutions and a CMMC Professional Assessor. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. So, Mike, today we're back on the compliance train, and and last time we talked about 3.1.1, and that controls a little bit more about who is permitted. This one focuses on what they are permitted to do. So, how does this control more specifically differ from the previous one? So, um. You know, this control, and just to be clear, let's, uh, I'm going to pull up a system security plan so that I can kind of go through this with you and have the exact wording in front of me. Uh, Because, you know, I think one thing that's noteworthy about a lot of these controls is when you read them, the first read through, I mean, they basically kind of sound the same. And so it's a really great question is, hey, how does this actually differ from the last one? So, um, one second here. I'm just getting that loaded up. Here we go. It's definitely uh, something that when I was reading through it and going from from one to the next one, I was like, these are very similar. And I had to I had to read through it and be like, okay, what each one is specifically pointing at. So just to be clear, we're on three one two, which is limit system access to the types of transactions and functions that authorized users are permitted to execute, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So what's so first? Let's talk about the wording difference, right? So three point one point one is limit system access, right? So those words are the same. And then two authorized users, processes acting on behalf of those authorized users and devices. So in this one, it's to the types of transactions and functions that authorized users are permitted to execute. So one deals with the who, the what, and um, and, and and what it's dealing with the who and the what this is dealing with what can they actually do, right? So again, assuming that the system can only be used by certain people or devices, that's sort of the first control in 311. 312 is saying now those people and devices should only be able to do certain things, right? So limit the system access to the types of transactions and functions, limit what the system can do. Maybe if they would have rephrased this control to limit what the system can do to and then the second part is that authorized users are permitted to execute well then we might have a little bit of a more clear concept of what should be here but so again uh, also again the tail end of that control is and uh, uh, excuse me it's that authorized users are permitted to execute um so now, now this is very very interesting if you really read the wording of this we're talking about what the authorized users can execute, not what the systems can do by themselves. So not what the services can do by themselves and things like that. 
not what the devices can do, but uh, again, what can the system do? What can an authorized user do with this system? Now, a huge principle of NIST SP800171 is the idea of limiting users to only be able to get to the information they're authorized to get to and do the things that they're authorized to do. 312 really sets out the core fundamental foundation for only allowing people to do what they're allowed to do. Now, how do we do that? Um, you know, I think number one is when we look at what are the assessors looking for, there's two things they're looking for. Number one is determine if the types of transactions and functions that are that authorized users are permitted to execute are defined. So is there a place in the system where they're defined? The second thing is determine if system access is limited to the defined types of transactions and functions for authorized users. So one is, uh, is, it is it restricted based on the user and what the user can do? And then is there further restriction on what the system as a whole could let anyone do? So the right way to phrase this is not to say what standard users versus administrative users would do, but maybe that gives a little easier example to follow. So how do we answer this? Uh, how do we answer this? Well, what we're going to do is we're essentially going to be giving examples of, um, you know, what can the system do and what can it not do and where is that defined? So that's going to be the essence of what the answer is going to be to this control. Um, and, you know, some examples of how we might uh, potentially sort of answer that, you know, we can look at things like group policy. Group policy in the first assessment example restricts certain users who are linked to that policy from performing uh, certain transactions and functions. For example, if an authorized user is not authorized to install software, but they're, in, but they're authorized to operate the system, that's a perfect example of how we're limiting the system access to execute an installation procedure or an installation transaction or function. Um, similarly, uh, you may have a system that is not authorized to run malicious software or to perform a certain function, you know, whatever that may be. Uh, you know, maybe we're not allowed to um, send certain files off to Dropbox. Maybe you've got a data loss prevention policy you can use as an example in that answer. Uh, those are all really good examples and core to IT security. Um, again, it's only when you have a system that can be used in an unintended purpose that things get really dangerous or users who are able to execute and do things that they shouldn't otherwise be able to do. Otherwise, you know, like the, the secretary can get to all the financials maybe. You know, those are, those are really great examples of how they want you to limit this. And, you know, if you're new to this NIST SB-800-171 stuff, or if you're just generally new to IT security, and this is not like a topic you normally, you know, sort of talk about because you're maybe help desk or, you know, maybe you just have a smaller IT department. This is an amazing example to give in how you should secure a system. First, you should be securing what the system can do, should know what it can do and restrict it uh, to only what's needed for people to do their jobs. And then you should go down a notch and you should be restricting certain people and what they can do to only what they specifically need to do. So great, great question. And, um, you know, again, I'll tell you the first time I went through this 3.1, 3.2 and 3. Uh, excuse me, 3.1.1, 1 1.2 and 1.3. Very, very confusing to really get a good understanding of what that's all about. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of, as I said, I kind of saw it when I was trying to make sense of it was the first one, like you said, was who and 
and what and this one is kind of in a way is is the why like why they're authorized so why are they authorized and limiting them to the reason they're authorized right yeah. or the the specific functions as to why they're authorized um so after your authorized users are identified, their duties must be specified so that the company can tailor their access to their responsibilities. You already touched on this, but what are the key assessment points that the assessors would be looking for on this control? You know, if I'm if I'm an assessor and I'm looking at this control, which you know I am a CMMC certified assessor, uh, the answer is um, I'm I'm looking for job descriptions first. I want to actually see a couple of job descriptions. I want to see what that person's job is, and then I want you to show me his account what he has permission to. Uh, and and I want to know that this person doesn't have an ability to access vast sums of information that are out of scope for what his job duties are. Um, so that that's probably the fastest way to assess a control like this. Uh, it gets you both on the policy side and the technical control side, which you should be prepared for if you're being assessed for CMMC certification. Um, and again, uh, anytime you've got that word authorized users, you should probably be prepared to you know show a job description of well, what is that user actually authorized to, to do? And then, of course, something that's going to limit the, the transactions and functions, so some kind of a limiting process. Again, group policy is really the easy one that comes to mind, but there's lots of ways to limit what users have access to. So that's kind of what I would look for. So with all this compliance jargon, and as we said, even reading the controls, it can sound very similar. It can sound very complicated. So with all the compliance jargon and confusing technical language, understanding these controls can be a challenge. And that's why that's why you'd call a company like us. That's why you'd call on call to help you out, to help you understand what you're looking at, what you're reading. So uh, and, and again, you've already touched on this a little bit, but can you give us a practical example of 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 what compliance with this control looks like and explain the dangers of non-compliance with this particular control? Sure. Um, you know, I'm going to do this one backwards. I'll answer the dangers first. The dangers are that when users are given too much access, for instance, they're giving, given the ability to install whatever they want. Number one, the computer is going to run slower and they're going to, you know, they're going to ultimately not perform as well. Uh, less in the life of the hardware, et cetera. Um, but more importantly, you know, if they click on the wrong thing in an email and they get a download and that download, um, you know, is a malicious download, all of a sudden, you know, you're in, you're in deep trouble because there's no permissions restricting what transactions and functions that system can provide, including installing. And you could just ultimately install some ransomware and you know, spread that through the network and Bob's your uncle, you're, you're, you're in the, you know, you're underwater here. So uh, fighting a ransomware infection. So, um, I mean, that's, that's what the dangers are. And then what was the first half of the question one more time? Give us a practical example of what compliance looks like with, with this control. Yeah. How, so, with, yeah. so, so, you know, to comply with this control, you know, I think the easy example is you take a 10 computer, one server network with a basic domain, um, you would show an example of group policy restricting users from being able to install software if they are an author, you know, without user escalation to an administrative credential. Um, that's a that's a terrific example. It's going to denote who the authorized users are and, and what they can actually execute. Uh, the type of transaction and function they can execute, being installing or not being able to install software. Um, and gosh, it, you know, in in any typical system, I mean, there's probably going to be 20 or 30 plus different policies you should have in place on a basic off, you know, a basic authorized user, 
but that's a really good way to describe it and kind of hit all the points that the uh, you know that I would assess on in terms of looking at this control. For sure, that's that's uh, that's very helpful to in, anybody that's either in the defense in the defense industry or just looking to learn. You know, that's a lot of a, a lot of um, valuable information, and we're just two controls through a possible 110. So we're going to be here a while trying to trying to help people understand what all this confusing stuff is. So by now, if you're if if you're a listener or viewer of the podcast, you know what comes next. We like to have a little bit of fun on 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 this podcast, and and you know we here at On Call we 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 like the Avengers, and so this is uh, an Avengers themed one. It's a, you know, this is talking about you know we talked about who's who's able to access certain things and what they're able to do and this kind of thing. If if the Hulk was limited to certain functions within the Avengers, couldn't he just Hulk smash his way into whatever he wants? Well, you know, you would hope so, but uh, obviously, if uh, you know one of the Marvel superheroes had some sort of a force field around him, like a firewall. Then uh, looks like Hulk probably couldn't smash his way through a, a well, uh, a well-designed firewall. So, you know, even the Avengers have uh, have to have their transactions and functions put in check sometimes, uh, and that, of course, is what makes the essence of a good guy. They've always got some limitation somewhere on what they can do. I mean, the entire plot of of Captain America: Civil War was about lim- was about limiting the functions of the Avengers, so we know that that happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and that wraps up another insightful episode of Mission Compliance. We hope our discussion today has provided you with valuable insights, practical strategies, and inspiration to navigate the ever-evolving world of defense. We'd like to thank Mike once again for joining us. As always, thanks, Mike. Hey, always a pleasure, Roman. But the conversation doesn't end here. We encourage you to continue exploring these topics and connect with us on our social media channels. Share your thoughts, ask questions, and engage with fellow listeners using the hashtag Mission Compliance Podcast. If you haven't already, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to be the first to know when new episodes are released. And we'd truly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us to continue to bring you thought-provoking episodes and high-quality content. Join us on the next episode of Mission Compliance as we delve further into the dynamic world of defense, security, and industry innovation. Until then, take care, stay informed, and make compliance your mission. See you next time.